Hi, my name is Sarah. The Old Testament reading is found in Psalms 136, 10 through 15. Give thanks to the one who struck down the Egyptians' oldest offspring. God's faithful love lasts forever. Give thanks to the one who brought Israel out of there. God's faithful love lasts forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, God's faithful love lasts forever. Give thanks to the one who split the Red Sea in two. God's faithful love lasts forever. Give thanks to the one who brought Israel through. God's faithful love lasts forever. And toss Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea. God's faithful love lasts forever. The word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Leslie, and the New Testament reading is found in Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Jelena. Please stand for the gospel reading found in Luke seventeen eleven through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The Gospel of the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Nice snowy morning. Grace and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. My wife is an educator, as many of you know. She teaches elementary school in the public school system here, so she has a library of books that I don't have in my fairly substantial library. And one of them I thought would be appropriate just for the beginning today. Maybe you've heard of it. It's called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. How many of you have read this masterpiece? Quite a few of you, actually. I was unaware of this until a few years ago. And boy, what a a great book. As it begins, he he went to sleep with gum in his mouth, and now there's gum in his hair. And when he got out of bed in the morning, he tripped on the skateboard and by mistake dropped his sweater in the sink while the water was running, and he could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And it goes on. He has difficulties in breakfast, apparently. Uh, And he decides he will move to Australia. And that becomes apparently the theme. And as they go, uh, he's scrunched in his seat, which appears to look a lot like the 1970 VW Bug that I used to have. And he said, I could tell it was going to be a very, a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And so as this progresses through the day, Alexander... Uh, it seems to, you can't all see it, but he doesn't seem very happy and he doesn't seem very thankful. And so as it continues, he says, I'm having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I told everybody and no one even answered. 
And so at the conclusion of this book, and I, you can, I know I'm riveting you, so you're all going to want to go out and get it or go on Amazon Prime while we're talking here and get it. He says, it has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. And my mom says, some days are just like that, even in Australia. And so as I saw this book and I thought of this week, It's Thanksgiving, and some of you are anticipating a wonderful event, while others of you are perhaps dreading less than a wonderful event. And I found a photo that I'd like you to go ahead and put up, because this is what we all hope for, isn't it? Have any of you ever been to that meal? You know, grandma is, is there, grandpa is dressed, everybody's in suits and ties, and we, all, we do wear suits and ties for Thanksgiving still, right? And it just looks so perfect. And year after year, you think, maybe this year, that'll be my Thanksgiving. But sadly, for many of us, the next picture, if you would, this <laughs> is more what Thanksgiving appears to be for many of us. Well... Today we're going to look a bit at thanks, thankfulness, and I'm calling thankful in terrific, terrible, and tough times. And so we can go ahead and take Homer et al. off the uh, screen and go to the next slide. Uh, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And I want to draw your attention in the future for a moment to uh, when we get done this morning, Pastor Joey is going to lead us to the table, and he's going to share those very familiar words from the Gospels. We call them the words of institution, where it says, on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and gave thanks. What an odd sentence. On the night he was betrayed, he gave thanks. On the night he was betrayed, he gave thanks. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. This is a profound psalm of thanksgiving on the one hand. But what makes it unique, and if you would go ahead and turn in your mobile devices to Psalm 136, and for those of you that are old school, uh, flip in your Bible to Psalm 136, you'll notice something very significant or very unique about it. And that is that the second line in every single verse is this phrase, and his steadfast love endures forever. Some of your translations will just say, his love endures forever. Other translations say, his mercy endures forever. Now, when I was in seminary years ago, and in fact, as I've taught seminary classes, I've given the same advice. And the advice is always, never do Greek or Hebrew word studies during a Sunday morning sermon. I'm going to take an exception to that today. And I'm going to unpack this word a little bit because our English is so wanting. In fact, we have a very popular Christian worship song based on this. Give thanks to the Lord, our God and King. His love, what, how does it begin? His love endures, right, forever. Da, 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 da. His love endures forever. Everything is, his love, and it's kind of sing-songy and isn't it nice? But this is a word, chesed, and It's hard to translate. It means covenant loyalty. It means, and even that's hard to understand. A covenant is not a contract. Now, I have a relationship. Linda and I have a relationship, a fairly long-term relationship with Wells Fargo Mortgage. (laughs) 
And we have, this, we have this, these rules where we pay this sum of money every month and they don't take our house from us. And eventually, we will own the house, but they won't celebrate, they won't throw us a party. They'll just mail us a slip of paper that says we now own it, right? That's not a covenant. What is that? It's a contract. However, for those of you that are married, you understand that you stood in an altar at some point somewhere and you exchanged contractual agreements? No, what do we call those? Vows. Because you entered into a covenant. But the kind of covenant said is talking about is even different. Because if I can take your memory back to Genesis, early in the, the beginnings of the book, when Abram, he isn't even known as Abraham yet, Abram is talking to God, connecting with God, and it says that God has Abram take all of these animals of sacrifice and kill them and cut them in half and, and order the pieces and, and set like half of the turtle dove here, the other half there, half of all of these animals, kind of gross and bloody. But then it says God put Abram into a deep sleep and God's presence walked through the dead animals, and God established a covenant with Abram. Abram was unconscious while God did all the work. It was a one-sided covenant. And that's the nature of chesed. God loves us so much that God is fiercely loyal to that covenant that he made us. That he made with us, I should say. And so this one-sided covenant God's ruthless devotion to us and his desire to pursue us relentlessly is now all loaded into this word chesed and his chesed endures forever as we will go through Psalm 136. Before we look at Psalm 136, I want to read a quote from Dr. John Oswalt, an Old Testament theologian. And I think we have it in a couple of different... uh, It's a fairly lengthy one and I apologize for that, but it's worth listening to. The word chesed is the descriptor par excellence of God in the Old Testament. The word speaks of a completely undeserved kindness and generosity done by a person who is in a position of power. This was the Israelites' experience of God. He revealed himself to them when they were not looking for him. And he kept his covenant with them long after their persistent breaking of it had destroyed any reason for his continued keeping of it. Unlike humans, this deity was not fickle, undependable, self-serving, or grasping. Instead, he was faithful, true, and upright, and generous always. So let's turn to Psalm 136. His steadfast love endures forever. And what we're going to see in a few moments is this extraordinary journey, a quick journey, through Israel's history that starts on a macro level and ends on a micro level, talking about God's relentless, fierce, loyal love for us, which is at the heart of thanksgiving, at the very heart of thanksgiving. Why do we call it thanksgiving? When it says, on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and gave thanks. The Greek word for give thanks that we find in our New Testament is Eucharisto. That's why we call it the Eucharist, the table of thanksgiving, the giving of thanks. I think I have a couple of other uh, passages 
if you can show those real quickly, just to show the intensity of this word said outside of the book of Psalms. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my chesed for you will not be shaken. Isaiah 54.10. And then the next one is in Lamentations. For men are not cast off by the Lord forever. Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. For great is his chesed. Now let's look at Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord for his good, his steadfast love, his chesed endures forever. You start seeing line after line, his steadfast love endures forever, his steadfast love endures forever, his chesed endures forever. Well, there's at least three movements in the book of Psalms. What's the book of Psalms? What was it to the, to the people of Israel? What was it? The songbook, the hymn book. The book of Psalms was a, a compilation of both prayers that they would pray and songs that they would sing. And so the, the, it, because it's a song, we see movements in it. Not unlike we see verses and choruses in songs today, we have the same kind of thing in Psalm 136. And so there's three movements we're going to look at. And the first is verses 1 through 9, which is God's thankfulness or our thankfulness, I should say, uh, at God's creation, our thankfulness for his creation. And so he starts off, give thanks to the God of gods, his chesed endures forever. To the Lord of lords, his chesed endures forever. To him alone who does great wonders, his chesed endures forever. Who by his understanding made the heavens, who spreads out the waters upon the earth, upon the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to govern the day, the moon to govern the night. So it starts by just acknowledging who God is and what God has done in the creation of this wonderful world. You know, sometimes when you have nothing to be thankful for in your personal life, can we as a step of obedience be thankful for who God is? Maybe even not for what is happening in my life at the moment, but for who God is. Can we, can we look at around us the, the majesty of this creation and be thankful in our hearts and say, God, you have even in, in creating us, even in bringing seasons, even in bringing, uh, breathing life into us, you have shown your chesed. You have shown your fierce, relentless covenant loyalty to us because we still have breath. You know, I'm reminded of a story uh, a mentor in my life told us years ago, uh, a pastor, I was in the vineyard family of churches as a pastor and our, and our leader of our, of our association or denomination told us this story. It was a true story. In his congregation, there was a young couple. They loved the Lord. They, they were active in the church and they were going home to Thanksgiving. Her father was a rather, a rather renowned cardiologist who was an atheist and he was very disappointed that his daughter and that the number of his children were participating in church and that they expressed a faith in God. And so they were all gathered around this beautiful dining room table, not unlike the Rockwell painting that I showed. And just before they, you know, he cut into the turkey to carve it, the young daughter and her husband, they grasped hands under the table and they quietly just prayed a prayer of thankfulness to the Lord. And as they were starting to pray, her dad said, what are you doing? And she said, we're just giving thanks to God for this meal. He said, don't you dare thank God for this meal. You thank me for this meal. 
I'm the one who earned the money. I'm the one who bought the ingredients. If there's anybody who's getting thanks today, it's me. That night, this is a true story. That night, this cardiologist dropped dead of a heart attack. Now, I'm not saying ergo anything. But you can't help but wonder, can you? You know that uh, God says we're to have a thankful heart toward all things, toward creation, toward the next breath which God gives us. Amen? So this first movement is a movement of, of praise to God for who God is and for just creating the earth and creating us. And for that, we are thankful. And then it moves into this longer second movement from which we had the scripture reading this morning. And it's a little troubling because it starts off in 8. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt. Excuse me, I'm looking at the wrong verse. Uh, Verse 10. Uh, To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, his chesed endures forever. Now you're thinking, that's a violent picture. He struck down these children and his chesed endures forever, and it keeps going. And brought Israel out from among them. His chesed endures forever. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, to him who uh, divided the sea asunder and brought Israel through it, and then swept Pharaoh and his army into the Red Sea, who struck down great kings. His chesed endured forever. Killed mighty kings. His chesed endures forever. And then it lists all the kings. His chesed endures forever. And you're thinking, is God this this? Angry old deity that we always thought he was? You know, you look at uh, pictures, paintings, particularly from the Renaissance period on, and, and one would suggest that our view of God has been influenced more by artwork than it has scripture. Because we all know, at least from Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel, that God is a very angry white Italian man with a long beard. You know, and that's how he looks. And this seems to play right into that, you know, for killing people, said endures forever. But we need to understand something about the Psalms. The Psalms have two directions of dialogue, and this is really important. They have the direction of the person crying out to God, and then they have the direction of God speaking to the people. And what we always tell folks when we're, when we're students, when we're teaching in the Psalms or anywhere in the historical narratives of the Old Testament, but particularly in the Psalms, is it's really important to know which direction the dialogue is going. This isn't God speaking to us. This is the psalmist speaking to God. And sometimes we call these types of psalms imprecatory psalms. That's a big word. But if you're familiar with some of those psalms that say terrible things, like break their teeth in their mouth, O God. Now, nobody tattoos that as their life verse, you know. (laughs) Actually, I wouldn't tattoo anything as my life verse (laughs) because I'm not going to get a tattoo. You know, act your age, dress your age, and, you know, what can I say? You guys are welcome to get them. I'm not going to. Is that okay? Still love me? I'm not all hip on needles either, not for recreation purposes at least, or artistic purposes. So, that was, we'll, we'll put the second service uh, sermon on the podcast, not the first one. It's so nice to have a second shot at it, you know, and know that Glenn will only hear the one that we choose, you know, that's the better part of it. So, 
this violent language in all of these verses, followed by his chesed, his covenant loyalty, his fierce, relentless love for us, this is what it's doing. You see, the people of Israel had had a tough lot in life. Things had not gone well for them often. And in fact, that is the story of much of the Old Testament. God brings prophets, and the job of the prophets was to call the people of Israel back into covenant relationship with God. And then they would fall again, and they would start worshiping other gods and doing all these things, and life would get difficult, and God would raise up a prophet, and the prophet would call the people back into relationship with God. One of them got so bad at one point And it's demonstrated through the Old Testament prophetic book of Hosea, where God calls this prophet Hosea to marry someone of what profession? Do you remember? A prostitute. And it says that that God called him to marry her to be a a, a, kind of a lifelong, lived-out example of God's relationship with the people of Israel. And every time that he goes and and rescues her back, she ends up running out and sleeping around and getting herself into bondage again, and he has to go after her again. And the moral of the story, as it were, is that God was doing that over and over and over again with his people. That is that covenant loyalty. Yes, you've done it again, and yes, I'm going to rescue you again. Yes, you have defamed me again. Yes, you've brought shame again, and yes, I'm going to rescue you again. Yes, you've gone right back to it again, and yes, I'm going to rescue you again, and again, and again. And so part of that rhythm that the people of Israel got in was that nothing is off limits when it comes to what we communicate to God in prayer and praise. David was called a man after God's own heart. Now, clearly, God was not talking about David's Voyeurism, which turned to adultery, which turned to conspiracy, which turned to murder. Surely that was not what made him a man after God's own heart. What possibly could it have been? Could it have been the raw honesty that we read in the Psalms of David's relationship to God constantly? Oh God, I've sinned. Oh God, I've done this great wickedness in your sight. There's this sense that it's okay to be honest to God in prayer, and in worship. And so true thanksgiving is not thanking God for difficult times. It's thanking God and having a heart and an attitude of thanksgiving through the difficult times. So we're not giving God thanks that you've got a screwy, dysfunctional family that you get to see this Thursday and pretend to be happy about. But it is. And, and of course, if your family is actually sitting with you now, you can all smile and say, he's not talking about us. You know. (laughs) But we can be thankful to God right through the whole day. Even when crazy Uncle Charlie does whatever he does. I had one. Did you have one? Crazy? Yeah. We all had one. Or more. So this second movement of thankfulness for his deliverance it's thankful to God by expressing all the times that God has come through they are recounting through their history the times that they thought it was done and God came through and rescued they were reiterating and retelling the story over and over and over again and that's what we need to learn to do as well 
We need to learn how to have a posture of worship and praise and thanksgiving, even through and even in the midst of and even while remembering difficult times. Do you remember when this happened? His has said endures forever. Do you remember when we, I lost my job and we were broke? His loving kindness, his has said, endures forever. Do you remember when, when your mom found that she had cancer and we didn't know what to do? His has said endures forever. Do you remember when this crisis happened, when, when I lost my marriage? His has said endures forever. It's recognizing God has never let go. He's relentless, he's fierce, and he will pursue us. Wasn't it C.S. Lewis that called the Holy Spirit the great hound of heaven? What a great word picture. And so then that moves us to the final and third movement, which is actually verses 20, somewhere between 21 and 22 to the end of the verse. And that's what we call thankfulness for his care for us. First, in giving them land and gave, us their, gave their land as an inheritance, as Chesed endures forever, an inheritance to his servant Israel, to the one who remembered us in our low estate. You know, when you thought that nobody knew how bad off you were, God knew. Sometimes we've had the privilege, those of us that, that are, are privileged to serve, be on the communion and prayer team here, uh, we had a, a, a prayer meeting a couple weeks ago, all of us, and Pastor Joy was there. And we were a little, maybe surprised isn't the right word, but a number of us shared, not, not details, not uh, betraying confidences, but just shared the nature of some of the very serious kinds of things for which we've been praying for people, and which we're, we're thrilled that people feel the freedom to come and to say, my life is a mess. I don't know what to do. And to be able to agree in prayer with them at that point, that low point in their life. To bring the presence of God into that setting when, they're as, when it's as low as it goes. You know, Timothy Keller, the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, did a teaching on the lament psalms, and he made an interesting observation. He said, The world teaches us to vent our anger. And oftentimes Christianity has taught us to suppress our anger and our depression and our despair. But what we read in the Psalms is pray the despair and the anger. Worship through the despair and the anger. And when it rises up into the presence of God, God is able to change our perspective. That's what we see in this psalm. Yeah, they were tough times and people died, but we're going to take that whole sordid history and we're going to lift it up into the presence of God and give thanks to him. And in that process of lifting it into God's presence in the context of worship, God is going to do a miracle in our heart and our life. He goes on as he finishes and he says, to the one who remembered me in his low estate and freed us from our enemies and who gives food to every creature... Give thanks to the God of heaven. His chesed endures forever. Thanksgiving is acknowledging God through the most difficult times of your life. And that act has the potential of connecting us in covenant relationship with God almost like none other. It's interesting that when you you look and survey 
world religions, when you look at, um, particularly in, in paganism and some of those kinds of things, you know what you don't see in any of them that you see in the faith of the Bible is you don't see deep, emotional, interactive worship. You see a lot of activity and, and, and making sacrifice and doing things, but you don't see what we have, the privilege that we have, which is to abide in his presence in the context of worship. And the most profound demonstration of that has been the central focus of worship in the Christian church for 2,000 years, but sadly has, has lost some of its, um, some of its import really in the last 40 or 50 years among we evangelicals, and that is the Lord's table, the Eucharist. It's not accidental that we celebrate the Eucharist as the climax of every service week after week. It's because it's what the church did for 2,000 years. And you know why the church did it? Because some people come in who are rich. Some people come in who are poor. Some people come in who are going to have a wonderful holiday this Thursday. Some people came in today who are going to be lonely this Thursday. Some people came in happy while others come in wondering if you're going to have a job by the end of the year. And yet all of us have the privilege of coming as, as a people to the table and remembering that his life, his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us, and that where, where divinity meets humanity, and we call that a sacrament, that God's presence abides right here. And when you take that bread, when you dip it in the cup, the reformers called it a means of grace. It's not that you're saved by it. Nobody suggests that. But that it becomes an actual means by which the presence and the grace of God can actually indwell you and come at that moment. And it's an act of thanksgiving. It's an act of worship through the difficulties, not for the difficulties, not happy that the difficulties happened, but rather through the difficulties. And so we end with this idea that thankfulness is in fact, we, we give thanks not for the troubles, but we give thanks through the challenges. And I want us to have a moment of, of preparation this morning for the feast. We're going to eat too much on Thursday. At least I am. Anybody with me? Okay. We're going to eat too much Thursday. But the strangest thing is going to happen. Friday morning, you're going to wake up hungry. You're going to say, how could I be hungry after consuming 4,000 calories yesterday? Especially that 10 o'clock p.m. piece of pumpkin pie with whipped cream that you ate as the refrigerator door was open so that she wouldn't know you were eating it. You know, I would never do that, but I've heard that people do such things. And yet we'll be hungry the next day. Today we have the opportunity to set our hearts, and I loved how Pastor Matthew led us in prayer, and he said, can we, can we frame this week? Can we bring a, a Christ context into our thankfulness this week? Can we do that in no better way than what we're about to do in a few moments. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to be quiet for a moment and just reflect on 
where you're at in your journey. And then we're going to, as, as a congregation, we're going to pray a prayer of confession. And then I'm going to have the privilege of announcing the absolution of the Lord upon you. And then we're going to reach out to one another and just pass the peace of the Lord Jesus to each other. And then Pastor Joey is going to lead us to the table. So would you just close your eyes and, and quiet your heart for the moment. Let's just take a couple of minutes, not a couple of minutes, maybe 30 seconds of silence before the Lord as we just prepare.